Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Sammy. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And gentlemen, I, I believe tonight we're looking at my one of my picks, right? And I, I think what I wanted to do with this is make Flash Gordon look good. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to be looking at is 2011's Green Lantern. Um, you know, when you look at this cast, it's pretty amazing. Ryan Reynolds, Blake Somewhat Lively, Mark Strong, um, Taika Waititi, Peter Sarsgaard, Angela Bassett, Tim Robbins, Tamara Morrison, and then you got Jeffrey Rush, Michael Clark Duncan, and Clancy Brown as voices. I mean, this should be a home run movie, gentlemen. Should. But we'll talk about that. <laughs> but someone dropped the ball somewhere. I, I think there was more than one that got dropped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have thoughts. Um, and before we get into our thoughts and grades, let's go ahead and keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. All right. So I guess I'm leading off with keeping it 100 tonight, gentlemen. And I kind of played fast and loose with this and kind of went tangential, as you all had been doing for a few times. So I'm going to start my timer. May 20th was actually a celebration of the life of comic writer Gardner Fox. So on that day, I finally got around to watching the newest DC Universe animated feature, Justice Society World War II. Um, it really was a great homage to Fox's classic Flash of Two Worlds story. Um, you know, you get all those animated versions of the JSA characters, Our Man and Hawkman, Black Canary, Wonder Woman, and of course, Jay Garrick Flash. But in this case, instead of the original Flash of Two Worlds, Barry's kind of transported into the middle of a JSA battle during World War II. And from there, hijinks ensue. But this finally sets up the continuity for multiple Earths in this animated DCU. So that was kind of cool. So as an old school fan, I love seeing the JSA in action. The multiple Earth concept is always so cool. Um, but it's that interesting look at the golden age of DC. And so I love the possibilities that multiple Earths bring to these animated features. And that's why Justice Society World War II is this week's Keeping It 100. And uh, did I hear right? Is that another thing on HBO Max? Mm, I don't know if it's dropped on there or not. So <laughs> everything else you're talking about seems to be on HBO it can Max. Be. No, I, th th this was a Blu-ray. So I, I actually, I've always purchased the physical copies of these. Um, on the upside, they did have a trailer for uh, Batman: The Long Halloween Part One. So, and they are want to be as true to the graphic novel as possible. So I know you guys uh, reviewed that on Graphically Novel, Jamie. So I think it would transition well. Yeah. Uh, to an animated feature? Are they doing more like a season or are they two movies? Uh, do, they'll do two movies, similar to the way they did um, Dark Knight Returns. I can see that working. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, here we go for mine. And now for something completely different. Um, there's a new, uh, not, not new, a new-ish show on Netflix called F1 colon Drive to Survive. And it's a, it's a whole show about sort of the behind the scenes of Formula One racing. And look, I know where I'm at. I know this is this is in the realm of sports ball, and I know I'm not supposed to bring that up on, 
But My buddy Reed in the south in this year talks about racing. No, they don't drive on circles though, so it's, <laughs> it's the wrong kind of racing. Um, but it's so compelling, and it's so the, the drama of what they do is is just so compelling. You don't. I mean, I I hadn't watched Formula One in close to two decades. Um, I used to be a big fan, fell out of it, and this show sucked me right back in. It's and it's just the, it's so dramatic. I mean, because you think about it, they're risking life and death for this sport, and there's so much hanging on every on every race. There's only ten teams in the world. There's only twenty racers at a time who can compete in this thing, and there's so much pressure. And they're always negotiating contracts, and it's just such compelling TV. And I'll just tell you, you don't have to like racing at all. You don't have to be a fan of Formula One. Um, you don't have to like sports of any kind to enjoy this show. It is that compelling, just as a TV show. And it's it's just, it wraps you up in it. Um, I've, I haven't watched a TV show this hard or this fast in a long time. And so my, my Keeping 100 is Drive to Survive. Hmm. And we sampled a little bit of that before we all started recording and went off on some serious tangents. <laughs> oh, big it, time. It is definitely being added to the list. <laughs> it's definitely being added to the list there. Well, um, I was thinking that I wouldn't have anything connected, but I think mine probably is with DC, you know, having the multiverse and the new 52. I'm going to go with Neil deGrasse Tyson's Astronomy for People in a Hurry. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, it's a, it's a book, um, I devoured it on audiobook, relatively brisk, uh, kind of puts you in the mind of a Cosmos type series. Mm-hmm. I know he had the updated version of Cosmos on here recently, but this kind of even condenses that down a lot more layman's term, a lot more, uh, snippets of things. And he talks about everything from the big bang to multiverses to, you know, black holes, the creation, the dissolution of the universe, um, all of this. And it, I think the audiobook itself was like nine, maybe 11 hours. Uh, so it wasn't that large of a book, very devourable, very, you know, and if you, and if you listen to, to Mr. Tyson, um, he, he is a, perfect orator he he has a a manner of speech he has a a timber and a cadence and a way that he delivers this it's very accessible and and he breaks it down into like i said really bite-sized snippets that give you some great information um makes you really feel like you get something just at a glance Uh, but uh, astronomy for people in a hurry neil degrasse tyson cool i think it's i think it's fun when when writers do their own audiobooks yeah i feel like they've got extra little nuance you know, and I totally agree with, with voice. You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson just has this fantastic voice. And, you know, he refers to himself as your personal astrophysicist. Yeah. Uh, he has a podcast called Star Talk. Star Talk, yes. Uh, so that I, I listen to fairly regularly. But, um, you know, and it was actually Carl Sagan that got him started. Mm-hmm. Uh, he met Sagan when he was young. And Sagan took an interest in his career and, like, even when when... Tyson was young, he would, would invite him to his home. And, you know, that's where he got his start was meeting Carl Sagan. So, yeah. so when he yeah. did Cosmos, it was kind of like, you know, paying it forward. Yeah. Sort of a passing of the torch. Yeah. Very yeah. much. Yeah. And this is very much in that vein. I got a very Cosmosy vibes from that, especially, yeah. especially the Cosmos novel, you know, the, the book that the series originally was taken from. You had 13 episodes off the 13 chapters of the book that Sagan had written. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the new Cosmos was just a television series, but this seems almost like it could be a compendium to that. And actually, I can make a direct DC Comics tie to Neil deGrasse Tyson. 
He was in an issue of Superman when the light from the exploding Krypton finally reached Earth. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was drawn into the book to explain why, after all these years, that the light from Krypton was finally reaching Earth. Yeah. So, yeah. Very interesting. (laughs) He's been in lots of things now. He does enjoy himself. In the pop culture. Yes, oh, yeah. he, he he digs pop culture. And he so. has fun with it, yeah. Not he, has, he has fun with it. Well, something we, I hope we have fun talking about <clears throat> is Green Lantern 2011. Um, Jamie, you uh, open us up here with the thoughts and grades. Okay. Um, I'm going to say a lot of things, and then it's not going to make sense. This thing is miscast. Almost every single person except for Mark Strong, is in the wrong role. They're wrong for the part. The plot's messy. You can feel studio interference all over this thing. There's plot lines that are choppy and messed up. There's things that are missing. You can feel it. It's a missed opportunity. Um, But I don't hate it. It's a charming disaster. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when your kid draws a picture for you and you put it on your fridge. You know it's not good. But you're still charmed by it. And you proudly display it on your fridge. This is a C plus. And the plus is only because of the presence of, of that, that poozer Kilowog. It's not good. It, it has charm, though. Well, you uh, have exactly uh, stated my grade. C plus. <laughs> this, this is one of those, you, know, you don't want to flee from it. You don't want to run away. But it's not as great as it could be. And you know, when, when I saw Green Lantern, I love the Green Lantern stories. I love the Green Lantern in the DC. When I saw this was happening and I saw Ryan Reynolds was cast. Oh yeah. Killer. I saw Blake Lively. Yeah, she's great. You see all of these people, but like you said, they're just not right for these roles. Uh, my note says that this suffers from the Spider-Man three syndrome. There's nope. a little too much going on. Like you're talking about, you know, the, the studio getting involved, uh, you know, they, they tried to fit about f- four stories in this thing. Uh, and any one of them or two together could be great. But when you, when you put all four together and you cram it in here, it, it, it just loses so much focus. You know, going to the galactic stuff, going to the Earth stuff, you know, going from Hector Hammond to Parallax to Sinistro, you know, the whole back and forth, it really loses its folks, and it really uh, suffers for that. And, you know, uh, and I, I totally second exactly what you said, you know, with the, with the casting. I don't know necessarily that the casting is wrong, but the tone that they had these actors portraying and, and is, is not what they're capable of i don't think so and we'll get into that in my pants but uh, sam what say you sir all right defend yourself so <laughs> well what's really funny is is i think we're all really on the same wavelength in terms of grade i have a c plus also uh so so three c pluses that's not the ring of honor but um but but bear with me for a moment so travel back for a moment to 2011 with me okay I was this during that summer I was working part-time at the local comic shop and the excitement was immense for this movie. Okay. I mean, Ryan Reynolds. I mean, that's some star power alone, right? 
And then we're finally getting somebody other than Superman and Batman in a DC movie. Yeah. So that was really cool. The studio pumped $200 million into this. The final box office, $219 million. Um, So you could feel the air going out of this balloon as the weekend passed, the following week, as people were coming into the shop. Um, You know, I don't want to totally bash it because similar to what Jamie said, there are still things that I like about it. It's not Catwoman bad, you know, but, you know, it, it, it definitely had some ways to go. And we'll talk about that as we go through fans and pans and such. It's not even Electro Bad. Yeah. That's a, that's a slight step up from Catwoman. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what uh, kind of construct the ring would have had with a fan. But let's take a quick break and come back with our fans for this movie. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. Alright, well I'm leading off with the fans. And you know, I know I, I gave it a C+. It's not a great movie. The cast has a lot to be desired. At least the I think I think a lot of it was even the direction for the cast. But I really loved seeing the Lantern Corps on screen. You know, you've seen all those green suits, all those green rings, and when they would raise those rings and beam that power into space, that's that's my fan. I, I wish we would have gotten more of that. But uh, that's that's my fan. I love seeing the Lantern Corps. I wish we would have gotten more. But uh, I liked how they even explained it. You know, you have the universe is broken up into these quadrants, and each quadrant has you know kind of a, a champion that the ring has chosen. The the greatest strength of will uh, for that, and to bring a human into that was so so strange. Uh, to them, but yeah, the Lantern Corps. I wish that would have been uh, explored more, but I loved what we did get on screen. All right, so I'm I'm really interested to see how this goes. So so we mirrored each other on grade. So my fan, GLC all the way. I mean, it was the core, the one thing that should have been the core of the movie, but wasn't. Um, just seeing all of those lanterns together, just Kilowog alone, was amazing. And then you add Tomari and Sinestro. Um, give me a buddy cop task force movie with these guys. All right. I don't need Hal Jordan. I don't need all of that stuff. Give me the core. Um, you know, I was trying to look and see, could I identify any other lanterns in the background? You know, did they really do their research or not? Um, and I'm sure there are some fans that could pick them all out. But there were a few that stood out to me. Um you saw a character called Asimot Cole, and, and he's a lizard-looking dude, and he got killed in the first. And I love Asimot Cole because uh, Asimot is Tomasi spelled backwards, and Pete Tomasi wrote Green Lantern Corps forever and a day. Um, and then Stale, he's the robot Green Lantern that, that we saw pretty decent uh, on screen. So it was really cool to see those types of lanterns brought into this because, to me, that's what this movie should have been. 
There was a female lantern I remember from the comics. Yeah, that was in there too. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, it could have been Katmatui. It could have been Aresia. Um, you know, there's Boudica. There's tons of the of, of you know core members that were probably there, and maybe we just, just didn't get to yeah. see them very closely. A half a second on screen. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you guys. Um, I've got a, I've got a different mental plan for how this should have went than you guys do. I think the Green Lantern core movie should have been the second one. Um, I think the first movie should have been finding the ring, not knowing what it was, that there was a core, there was anything. And then Parallax, not Parallax, uh, Hector Heyman gets infected. And the whole first movie is him dealing with that on Earth and not understanding there's more to it. And the movie ends mm-hmm. with Kilowog showing up or somebody to recruit him. And, right. then, he, and, then, it, like, and then also that, and that's when Parallax shows up. And so like the first movie is all this Earth. And we, like, we find out how big the world is. And then we explode out into that for the rest of them. Um, and that's all here in an hour and 43 minutes. <laughs> um, my, my fan is, is they, they went for it. Um, the whole Green Lantern thing is, it's kind of out there. Um, it's kind of wild. And they did, they just really went for it. I mean, Sinestro's name is ridiculous. His name has sinister in it. Like, who's shocked that he went bad? <laughs> but they went with it. And there are some weird looking dudes in the Green Lantern Corps. And they just they went depicted it, yeah. them. They went for it. I think about got rings and lanterns. I mean, how many kids know what a lantern is? <laughs> I mean, we've got the, the cheesy oath, and I dig it, but I'm a comic book nerd, so I'll roll with some cheesy oath. It is a cheesy oath, and they went Not with it. Entirely. We've got big-headed blue guardians with the longest red capes you've ever seen. The whole color spectrum thing is weird and doesn't really track, and they just said, yep, that's what we're doing. You know, and I admire that. I admire that they just went for it. Like, oh, this is this weird world. We're doing it. Now, the execution wasn't the best, but I love the audacity to attempt it. So that that's my thing. Awesome. They went for it. They did. They did They did go for it. You know, and I, and I guess that's, that's an awesome thing about this is this was one of the first, you know, DCs that really stayed true to the comics you know you had you had superman with the with the blue and red you know always but you know with batman they tried to make him you know a lot more technical a lot more real world mm-hmm. but this they just kind of went for it yeah. they you know let's let's okay this is how this guy looks in the comics we're, we're doing you know we're doing a fish guy <laughs> we're doing a big warthog guy you know we're doing okay give give him big foreheads you know, coloring purple. We're good, you know. <laughs> and the lantern. I mean, that that boggles my mind. They completely did the lantern thing. Because if there was one thing, like you think a student executive would go like, can we not use a lantern? <laughs> can it be something else? And they did the lantern, you know? Yeah. 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 It was yeah. weird design on the lantern, yeah. but, you know. Yeah, it was so it was big. different design on the lantern. And the ring, you know, was, was yeah. kind of odd. Well, they had to make it their own, you know, and I and I get that. Well, the thing, one of the things I'm confused about, because it feels like, a movie that when they, when when the creators like know like hey this may this may be it <laughs> like we're gonna crave everything we want to film into this thing because we're not getting another shot at it yeah but the way it ends with the post credit scene mm-hmm. with Sinestro you know put on the yellow ring and all that jazz like it feels like yeah but we're you knew you were making a sequel or you thought you were gonna make a sequel I'm like I don't, that that's confusing to me because it completely feels like all the way through like we're not we're we're not making Green Lantern and not doing Oa right right there's no way we're not doing Parallax right. So they're cramming all the stuff in, and it feels like for an hour and forty minutes or whatever that we're just let's film everything we want to. Like, well, this is our one shot. Let's film it all. I want to make this stuff. And then there's a post credit scene setting up a sequel, and it's like, 
I'm just I'm confused by that sort of right. weird tone shift there. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were going to make Sinestro much bigger, you know, villain. I mean, which he was a huge villain in the comics, yeah. you know. But I, th- I think they're going to make him the the big bad, you know. And and so you have Parallax, which was a huge villain also, uh, but but you know he was just kind of like the introduction here. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you though, Jamie. It should have been, you know, you should have stayed on Earth for the most part. But I don't think they feel like they could have sold us the Lantern without taking us to the galactic parts. Um, I think that's one of the things that they were afraid of. Uh, uh, the feeling I get, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, before we pan this thing too hard in our fan section, let's <laughs> <laughs> move over to our. I was going to say, I believe we have a section for this, don't we? <laughs> All righty, <laughs> we are back now, Sam. This was your baby, but you yes. lead off on pants. All right. Um, you know, yeah, there's lots of things we could talk about as far as that did not work with this movie. But, you know, Dwayne had kind of mentioned that that Spider-Man 3, too much thrown in. And what happened is Parallax loses the importance. Um, you know, Parallax is too large a character in the lore, at least in Jeff Johns, Um to just deal with in one movie. You know, the battle against Parallax should have been a third movie. It really should. That should have been the third movie in the series. Uh, the first two should be building towards that. You know, Parallax is the, the being that caused the weakness to Yellow because he had been stored in the lantern itself in the comics. Um, you know, he's the, he's the being that, that possessed Hal Jordan that caused him to go crazy in Emerald Twilight. And kill all the lanterns. He's an important character, at least. He is not a rogue guardian. That is Krona. That's a different character. So it just shows how you they were mashing this stuff together. Um, that mismatch. You know, Hector Hammond did not get powers from Parallax. That was from an irradiated meteor, you know. So, I mean, they were just mashing so much together. And I just think it, it ended up tripping over itself. Yeah, you know, because I just I'm a firm believer. If you do not have a strong through line for your antagonist, it throws the movie off. We see it all the time. Spider Man Three, this, you know, there's tons of movies that that suffer from that. Yeah, and that's I mean, it's very similar in my opinion. My it's just for me is like their reach out outstrip their grasp. They just there's too much world building. There's too much plot. Too many characters to introduce in an hour and 45 minutes. I mean, that's more than they could have. That's more than. I'm not saying that there's no director or creative team that could have achieved that. Um, that that much stuff they were trying to accomplish. But but I spent some time today doing a thought exercise. Like, who, who, who could have d- done this, tried to do this much world building, this many plot lines, this many new characters? In one movie, and I tried to think of a director who could do it, and I didn't come up with any. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you give Nolan three hours, I mean, maybe not an hour and forty-five. I don't. It's not. I don't know that it's doable. Um, and so it was just, it was just too much, and it, it, it fell apart, and it felt choppy, and it felt like a mess. It was just too much for one movie, and not, not a very long movie as far as the theatrical release. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just too much. Exactly, exactly, too much. Too much, too much. Yeah, well, I'm not going to echo that pan anymore. <clears throat> One of uh, my biggest pans, though, is an actress in this movie. 
Blake Lively is sorely mis either miscast, misdirected, or underused. Uh, you know, uh, Carol, um, was it Carol uh, Ferris, yeah, Carol mm-hmm. Ferris, the 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 pilot. You see her being tough. You see her being assertive, but then a scene and a half later, she is completely clueless and helpless and, and hopelessly swooning and wooing over, oh, it's a green suit. You know, and just <laughs> so, I, I, I could not get with her characterization. You know, I, I know, you know, your comic books, your, your damsels are distressed. You know, your damsels are always wanting, you know, mental prowess or, you know, confidence or whatever. You know, this actress has that. I mean, even the way she carries herself on screen. And in these scenes, you see her presence, but you get these so weak uh, interactions with her. It just really, you know, like you said, it was miscast, misdirected. I think that was, a, and, and really across the board, but this was one that just leapt out to me so hard. Well, because I, she could be such a such an awesome, and even an, an action heroish, you know, character. Well, I would say that, that that's a thing that was a stereotype of older comics. Mm-hmm. I would say if you read Marvel and DC now, they've moved beyond that. Yeah. The the weak willed, fainting, you know, poor damsel that always has to be you know held up or rescued. That's not a thing anymore. Right. Um. So I, I think that might be like, well, we're making a comic book movie. Let's make sure we Let's do that. We have the damsel in distress. Yeah. But all, I did a, a little bit of research, and apparently there was major friction between the director and the cast, especially Ryan Reynolds. But I'm mm. sure that wasn't just Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. But apparently there was like serious drama to the point that Ryan Reynolds wanted this movie to fail, so he didn't have to do this anymore. Wow. And so he was happy. I mean, even with the you know the career slight you know career derailing he took, he was happy right. for this movie to fail because right. he did not want to do this anymore. Well, and that's and that's sad because you know the lantern has such potential. Yeah, you know I think the lantern is one of the coolest characters that DC's come up with. Uh, you know I think it's super interesting. It's not, you know, this billionaire who has all the tech toys. It's not this, you know, god from another planet. You know who who is invincible. It's a guy with with some serious issues, mm-hmm. given this great power. Yeah. You know? And you know, honestly, with with Carol Ferris, this this the portrayal and the way she was written really is a disservice to that character. Um, you know, even in probably the late sixties, she eventually gets her own powers and becomes a villain, Star Sapphire, hmm. and where her call sign is Sapphire, and you see the symbol for the Star Sapphires on her helmet. You know, there's those Easter eggs are there, but I just think you know she was always a, a stronger character, and honestly. Even in the in a lot of the older stories, she didn't put up with with Hal's junk at all. Yeah, well, I mean that's what I'm saying. You have her being, you know, this this pilot, yeah, you know, who's large and in charge of this aircraft, and you know, at a at a point in her career, and she's just so duh. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, see, I, that, another thing I learned too, doing the research, is that as much as a problem as Martin Campbell had with the cast, that's the director that he had with the cast, Martin Campbell had the same problems with the studio. And it was just constant war all over the place. And apparently, he, he was very clear, even as this movie was coming out, this was not my edit. They butchered my movie. 
And so some of that, because I noticed like the performances run even all the way through. Oh, like right. it doesn't even make sense. Like mm-hmm. like like even Ryan Reynolds, who's a fine actor, like from scene to scene. Like I'm not sure what's happening. Like what is going on with this dude well, and this performance? He, sometimes he plays it earnest. Sometimes he plays it goofy. You know, and it's all over the place. Yes, yeah. And yeah. so and, I mean, and, yeah, her hers was too, and it was so distracting because I'm thinking, you know, okay, is she? This is not the pilot I saw at the beginning of the movie, you know. Well, I think there's stuff missing because yeah. I went back and watched the deleted scenes today, and there's a whole big debate between um, Sinestro and uh, Hal that I think helps make sense of some of their other interactions. It's maybe five minutes, but it, when if that was put back in the movie, I'm like, oh, that would make sense. Like the confrontation with the Guardians is strange. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but apparently, like this was supposed to be like right before they did that. And they just completely chopped it out of the movie. And I feel like there's, there's like a lot of this uneven stuff that we're all feeling and sensing that's just as plain as day is just, you know, the war between the actors and the director and then the studio coming in and fixing things. And I, it just made for a choppy movie. And we can feel it in the performances, even like you're talking about. Well, it's just a mess. The moral of the story is this has been a problem for 10 years now <laughs> with Warner and DC and... <sighs> Whoever owns them now. <laughs> <laughs> Which Marvel does that too. I mean, uh, not just Marvel, but Disney. I mean, I don't know that people who direct Marvel movies really get to direct Marvel movies. I think they get to be on set yeah. and direct the sort of like the comings and goings, but I don't know that any of them are really doing their own it, edit. They're not really in charge of their movies. It's almost they're handed a checklist. Yeah. You know, it's a factory. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to have check 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 you know you have to have the this the, the giant battle you have to have the intro battle you got to have the uh, the yeah the, the snarky sidekicks you know well there was the the re-edit of rogue one which worked turned out okay it's a good movie yeah. and the whatever happened with solo <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever happened there yeah yeah i mean so this this is not like a thing that's never happened before but right. but i don't i think i don't know that it's always been this obvious that you can just feel it by watching the movie yeah you can feel the studio interference I mean, from scene to scene. Well, I know we had a couple pilots in here that had probably some war credit and awards. You reckon this movie's deserving of any awards? We'll see. Take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime, where Sammy, a.k.a. Comic Book Kid, takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast, One Thin Dime, focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents. Check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice, One Thin Dime. Okay, uh, first of the game is best performance, and this was tough. Because <laughs> um, I do think Blake Lively has moments yeah. where she's really good. Ryan Reynolds had so, a few moments where he like actually is an actor, not just being charming Ryan Reynolds. Um, but I think that the guy who does the the best at portraying the role that was his role to play, and I'm, I'm completely a homer, and I know I am. <laughs> I'm in the bag for this guy. But Mark Strong is Sinestro. And every scene he's in, he's doing exactly what he needed to do for that scene and what that character needed to be. And there's no wishy-washy. There's no, you know, there's no bad moments with Mark Strong. He's always doing what he needs to do and nailing it. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly my best performance. Mark Strong is Sinestro. He identified the character. He got it 
and he dialed it in. And I don't know if uh, if uh, he just wasn't given as many opportunities to perform, you know, the different ways, the goofy, the sincere, the the jerky, whatever, but he really felt like the character Sinestro. He really felt that weight of the leader of the of the Lantern Corps. Yeah, that's mine. And he was probably the only consistent performance mm-hmm. all the way through. And and that's exactly why all three of us chose Mark Strong <laughs> as Sinestro. Um, you know, just in terms of character, Sinestro is egotistical. He is an elitist. He truly thinks that that his way of doing things is the only way. Okay, and Mark Strong brings that in spades in this role. Um, all I can do is hold out hope that someone will eventually come to their senses and cast Mark Strong in this role again to finally give him a chance to really bring Sinestro to life. Wouldn't that be awesome to carry through? Oh, it'd yeah. be amazing. I mean, there are so many Green Lanterns. They could just keep him a Sinestro and just like focus on a different, oh, a different one. Lantern, do yeah. a John Stewart movie. Yeah. Do a Kyle Rayners. Do something else. I mean... Guy Gardner. No. <laughs> well, I skipped the name on purpose. <laughs> I know. That's why I had to throw Guy in there. I know you did. <laughs> No, I want Chip or Bidge. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, I do, I do think one that would make it a really good one um, would be because they're newer characters. You get, you get um, a lot of a lot more diversity. Do the Jessica Cruz Simon Bass storyline. Yeah, I, I think that would really resonate today, and it would be new characters. It would be also a way in for people because they're brand new to being Green Lanterns. So as audience members, we would be pulled into the world, you know, with them. Yes, yeah. And then you could have Sinestro be the big bad. Keep Mark strong. Yeah. Be nice. Whoever owns Warner Brothers now, call us. We'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> we can hook you up. Well, there is one thing. Movies do have scenes in them. This, <laughs> movie, did, this movie did have lots of scenes. Allegedly. Yeah. There were, there were scenes in this movie. Uh, one of them may or may not be the best scene, but, you know, I guess it could be the best scene in this movie. Uh, I'm trying to stretch your guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've got best scene here, and um, parallax versus the sun. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of a call back to something earlier. You know, uh, this is your you know when Kilowog is telling me this is your the gravity pull from your average star. You know, and this is blah 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 whatever, and you, and you see as Ryan Reynolds is is trying to take parallax head on. And he realizes he can't do it, so he has to get a little shifty, you know. And, and he flies him toward the sun, and, he, and he's taken into the sun's gravity. And you know, it also means that the movie's almost over. <laughs> I think that was the scene Martin Campbell was maddest about. They they re-edited that entire uh, conclusion to the movie. Um, originally, Ryan Reynolds, Hal Jordan wasn't strong enough, and so those three that show up at the end, like at the last second, to like give him a high five or whatever. They helped. Like, Hal Jordan couldn't defeat Parallax. It took a, a bigger group of the Green Lantern Corps right. oh. to do it, and they didn't like that. And so they edited all that out and yeah. changed it. Because they kind of showed up out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, yeah, they kind of showed up out of nowhere. And I, I, and I think the effects don't look quite as good there either. I think it's because they were re-editing real quick and having to redo some of the effects at the last second. Because I think Parallax, at some, at some spots in that scene, doesn't look as good as he did mm-hmm. in some of the earlier scenes. See, for me, I question the physics. Of that scene. (laughs) You know, Parallax is the energy keeps getting sucked back. Energy from a sun beats the gravity. It would have to be a black hole for that to pull back like that. So, (laughs) yep. 
So, you know, you need a lot more uh, mass and gravity going on there. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason this was a C plus. By which the Green Lantern animated series that came out following this actually did mm. had a, a black hole scene where the, the lantern's light kept getting pulled back in and they couldn't get out. Oh. So they got the physics right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, best scene for me, guys. Um, anything on Oa? <laughs> um, I especially like the training scenes. I love the different styles of training between Sinestro and Kilowog because it's so telling about those characters. Uh, I feel like we don't get enough screen time with them, but we do learn a little bit about them in the way that they approach Hal as the newbie. You know, I mean, honestly. Um, you know, in the comics, they don't even get a, a lantern on their chest until they, you know, kind of pass the training with Kilowog, and that's when they get their lantern on their chest. So... Um, like I said, somebody wrote that in at some point. Uh, but like I said, they were underused, but that at least told us something about them, and I appreciated those scenes. Yeah. Honestly, my favorite scene, and I can't pick this because it's not fair, is the is the deleted scene. The <laughs> the actual discussion between Sinestro and, and Hal, I think was like like really compelling. I mean, they didn't even do the CGI on it. They're weird. <laughs> weird like suits with dots all over them but it's a really good discussion it's like one of the actual like, best sets of dialogue but my actual award was training on Oa. yeah um but i but you you unpack that perfectly um so i just want to mention the the scene on the balcony when hal goes back to get thanked <laughs> by carol ferris that was pretty good that was a funny line that was a, it was a funny little interaction like yeah because oh, i can't see your cheekbones <laughs> i don't know it's you yeah well you yeah. know it, and it goes back to to you know, the tropes that you find in comics. I mean, how does no one know Superman is not Clark Kent just because he's wearing glasses? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Who else has the kind of money to be Batman other than Bruce Wayne? Yeah. You know, so those leaps in logic in comic books that we have to have, you know, and, and it, they kind of poked fun at it here, yeah. and that was funny. It, that, that was a really clever way to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, our next award is Best Character, and uh, good luck, Sam. Oh, no, no, guys, come on. <laughs> the best character, hands down, even though he's not on here enough, is Gilalog. I'm sorry. I mean, Michael Clark Duncan's voice on that character, just to hear him call Hal a poozer, uh, I, just, I, just, I just loved it. I was a happy nerd. Now, the design was a little man-bear-pig, but, you know... <laughs> I will, I will still kind of go with it. You know, at least it was Kilowog. He did call somebody a poozer. I'm happy. All right, I'm going a different direction. And this, I don't know why, but I enjoyed this more than the first time or two I watched this movie. I got a kick out of Hector Heyman. I mean, it's weird. It's a little bit of a strange <laughs> character arc. But, I mean, he's not. I mean... <laughs> He's one of the few characters in this movie that has motivations. Right. <laughs> like, you get why he's mad. Yeah. You get the insecurity. You get why he's lashing out. And that performance is a lot. <laughs> it's a little over the top. I mean, and he when it's time for him to scream, dude, that guy, he's wailing. He, I just, I enjoyed that, that yeah. Well, I mean, face it. I mean, you have Tim Robbins as a jerk dad. Well, that's enough. You know, right there, <laughs> right there. I mean, seriously, 
you know, and then you've got the the woman you really like and never even looks at you. And then you've got Hal, who's like always like Mr. Super Cool. You know, I mean, you, you're harboring some issues. I mean, and then you got students in class and that'll make you do all kinds of crazy things, but. But but you can you can you can feel it's like I mean we don't get a lot but like you know his dad is very clearly like you know he can he read his, when he starts reading his thoughts like oh you're such a disappointment mm-hmm. I knew you were gonna blow this yep and then he's like you know look we got these you know people like Hal and Carol here we've got a bright future like your son is <laughs> 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 you know like, you, you can see like where the the issues would come from yeah. and it was portrayed over the top but it was it was it was a little more character detail there. Than most of the other people, most of these people were just cardboard cutouts. Yeah. I mean, they were flat characters. There was a little something there to him, and I, I don't think I really, really noticed um, that that was there. Uh, I think I was more distracted by the terrible <laughs> CGI suits. <laughs> yeah, the CGI and the prosthetics are something else in this movie. But you know, one thing is you cannot question is you know the scars guards can't act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scars guards can act, so he's he's really you know got a pedigree there, and he's he does it great. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Abin Sur as best character. We don't see nearly enough of him, but he is such a shadow over Hal. And I mean, come on, it's Django Fett. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Tamara Morrison. <laughs> no, I'm not surprised. You went with the Lone Star Wars connection. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just Abin Sur. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see more of that cat. Or you could tie back to a DC connection and say Aquaman's dad. Aqu- yeah, Aquaman's dad. He's yeah. Tamora Morrison's trying really hard to get in the Nerd Hall of Fame, isn't he? I'm telling you, he's making double his rounds. Double DC duty, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we forget, like uh, how many of these you know people end up all these nerd different different mm-hmm. nerd properties. Yeah. Uh, Well, next award is best quote, and dude, <laughs> there, there's not a lot of great dialogue in this movie. So I went to IMDb, and they've got that quotes section. Yep. I scrolled up and down, up and down, because <laughs> um, nothing jumps out while you're watching it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing that just stands out as like great dialogue. Um, but there is one little line from Hector Heyman that gives me a little bit of a chuckle. <laughs> So it's at the end of the movie when Hal is stepping up and he's really going to be a Green Lantern. And he says, how wonderful that all it took for you to grow is the end of the world. Like, That's a pretty good line. That's a pretty good line. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. Completely. Well, I'm, I'm with you, uh, Jamie. Uh, as I was reviewing in my mind the movie and thinking, best quote, best quote. <laughs> and and so and I, I did. I went to the interwebs and I'm I'm rolling through Rotten Tomatoes and I'm going up and down, up and down. I go to IMDb and up and down the quotes, up and down the quotes. And I'm like, go to Google Green Lantern quotes and I'm looking <laughs> there. So what I have come up with in brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. <laughs> the Lantern's creed. That's that's all I got. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I can't. I can't find anything else Sims other than ditto. <laughs> yeah, ditto. <laughs> it's 
It's a little cheesy. It's a little cheesy. It's very old school comics. It oh, yeah. is. But, you know, I, the reason that, I'll be honest, I picked that quote also is because I think there for a moment we saw Hal Jordan the way I see Hal Jordan. You know, when he was doing the the oath, you know, there was a different posture to, to Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan there. And it just, it worked for me. And that's the reason I, I'd pick that quote also. It, it's, it, it works better on the page than in the movie. Especially at the end when he's like groaning and saying it all and like getting motivation. I'm like, I get what you're going for. It just comes off really cheesy in that scene, like the way it's played. I didn't love the way they did that. but <laughs> Yeah, but you know, the first time that, that you see him <clears throat> saying it there, uh, He's like, oh, of course, to quote you, everybody, everybody knows the oath. You know, yeah. Everyone knows the oath. Uh, you know, and he's like, I pledge, <laughs> I pledge allegiance, you know, to the, you know. To this lantern. I'm the power of great school. <laughs> right. And he, and he goes through all of those things. And then you see the, the, the color in his eyes change. Yeah. You, see his, mm-hmm. you see his posture change, you know. And yeah. He, he, he assumes a different character, you know. Now, that, that worked better than the second time he did it. Yeah. The, the first time is, is the one that yeah. I, I was referring yeah. to. Now, it does work there. The, the, the yeah. second time, it just comes off real cheesy and hokey. Yeah. The grunting. Second, yeah, and we're like, like, oh, yeah, that's right, we're making a comic movie, let's comic book it up. I mean, just all right, Dwayne. Um, it feels like so far our award section has really been an extended pan section. (laughs) (laughs) So, do you have a biggest missed opportunity? Let's let's continue extending this pan (laughs) section. Well, I I think there is, and I I, I have two, um, and I'm gonna go to my second one. Uh, because I think from our discussion so far, I think it's probably going to be your, my first one's going to be one of your other ones. But I would have liked to have seen and got more explanation of the color, uh, of like the color's powers and how they go. Like with No, you don't. <laughs> Dig it deep, man. Nope, you don't want that. <laughs> Not really. Well, well it, I mean, they're, they're going all in. You know, you've, got the, you've got the lanterns. Oh, if you're on oh, you know, you have yellow for this. And, you know, what, what were the other colors? You know, how, how did those pan out into? Were those contained somewhere in Oa that, uh, that you get? I'm, I'm sure. And I'm sure that there's <laughs> comics upon comics no, of, yeah, of all of the know. different colors nope. and the angers. And Roy G. Biv. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I would, I would have liked to have seen that. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. The more I learn about the color spectrum and the powers, the less I want, less I like, I wish I didn't know this now. No, what this movie needed Larflees, though. This needed Agent Orange. <laughs> Why not throw him in there? So, <laughs> throw everything else in. Exactly. And that's, and that's kind of where mine goes. So, for my biggest missed opportunity, um, I'm going to give you a sort of mental image. Okay, so at my house, because of some of my wife's. Um, physical ailments. I do most of the laundry. And so I have this continuing moment of frustration that happens. So I'll stack the laundry. It'll be folded. I'll give it to the kids. They will take it to their bedroom and just jam it like crazy into the drawers until they can just barely cram those drawers closed. And that's how they made this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything Green Lantern they could think of, let's just keep cramming and shoving, and all the hard work that writers have done over decades got all unfolded and wrecked and wrinkled all over this hour and forty three minutes. Yeah. It's just too much. They they could have unpacked some of these storylines better if they given them space to breathe. Mm-hmm. Do a whole movie with Hector Hammond. I don't care if it's the first, second, or third one. Do a Sinestro movie. Mm-hmm. Do a Parallax movie. They had three plots here. 
Yeah. At least at that least. would have made good individual movies, but they just like my kids, man. They just kept cramming, <laughs> cramming. and it ruined all of the good work that had been done before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you, you know, I guess mine goes right along with that. You know, this would have been an amazing set of movies. Um, we have this movie should have been amazing. I mean, we've got the space factor, this intergalactic police force, lots of beautiful people to look at, um, this rich history of the Green Lantern Corps and how, but it's just so compressed. You know, this should this first movie should have been about the training. This should have been, uh, you know, Sinestro mentoring Hal and how to ring sling, Hector Hammond as the villain, and then... That would have made Sinestro's defection more emotional. You know, it was cool to see the, the yellow ring and stuff in, in the, the end credit scene. But does it really have the emotional power, you know, that it would have had if we had developed this friendship between Sinestro and Hal at the beginning of it and then had that defection? Yeah. I just think it would have been so much more emotional leading into a second movie with Sinestro becoming the antagonist, and then, like I said, third movie, Parallax. So they just kept cramming, though. Yeah, <laughs> cram it in. <laughs> well, I can't believe nobody, neither one of you guys, got my biggest missed opportunity, which I thought would have been obvious, was uh, spend more time on Oa. Yeah. yeah. More development with Oa. Yeah. I mean that that should have been a movie. Yeah. I mean mm-hmm. I don't, I'm like I mean I think I think we we might re, you know want to re sort of you know rearrange the movies like for our personal tastes. But there's at least three full plots. Yeah. In yeah. this movie. Yeah, yeah, there 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 are and like you said you know you you want to go with a smaller first villain as he's learning his power. Yeah. So you know he he gets You start with Hector Hammond. He yeah. gets the ring. Hector Hammond starts you know having his situation. He goes to Oa for you know a good at least third of the movie you know, for his training and he builds the relationship. He goes on a couple small adventures with Sinestro, some training stuff, you know, uh, Kilowog is, is there, you know, being Kilowog, you, know, you have the, the, the Tamar Ray, the fish guy, and then come back, take out Hector Hammond, have that. And, but you start seeing parallax on the edges mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that happens. And then the next, then the third movie you have, you know, Sinestro really being the bad guy, you know, trying to take the the power of Parallax to to defeat, you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think we're all a little bit bowled over by Mark Strong too. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, he really carried this movie. I mean, he was yeah. probably the most consistent performance throughout. Yeah, and and, may, and maybe because of how good Mark Strong is, just period, but also in this role, maybe maybe he becomes the big bad and Parallax is the one in the middle. I'm not sure right. because of because of all the Mark Strongness <laughs> right, on right. the screen, but. But there's just there's too much wasted here, yeah. yeah. And I mean, we don't we don't get enough of anything we like because the Hector Hammond thing has has promise. Mm-hmm. We don't get enough of that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's awesome. Oh, it's killer. Yeah. Kilowog is great. Sinestro's great. We don't get enough of that. Parallax could have been a really interesting bad guy. E- even to think about what he is, we don't get enough of that either. We don't right. get enough of anything. Of the two bad guys in movies that are clouds, you know, Parallax <laughs> is better than Galactus. <laughs> yes. On that note, our next award is Best Special Effect. And we've mentioned a couple of bad ones now. So, Sammy, um, in a movie famous 
for strange choices in special effects. Mm-hmm. What was the best special effect? You know what's really funny is, is we've been given you know the, this whole special effects behind Parallax down the road, but you know what? I really liked Parallax attacking Abin Sir. I thought that whole sequence was really cool yeah. because it we did get to highlight Abin Sir. We got the idea of why he crashes on Earth, you know, why he has to send the ring to Hal, you know, or, or those types of things. Um, you know, like I said, though, I really think Parallax is misused. That whole sequence, you know, is so tied to Hal's origin, you know, getting the ring from Abin Sir. And I like, at least they were thinking about, you know, something at the beginning of the movie, you know, as far as how to get a through line with a character like Parallax. But, you know, like I said, that could have been later on. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wonder the obvious thing and say, not the suits. <laughs> Almost anything but the suits. It just looks strange and it looks so unnatural. Um, and if you have someone built like Ryan Reynolds, yeah. why are you going to see Jay out? Just know? put some spandex on him. It'll spandex be fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if there's ever a dude built for spandex, I mean, it's a really lean, athletic looking dude. Mm-hmm. Why are we lighting him up? I don't know. It's weird. But my, my the one I actually do like um, was the like the the body horror Hector Heyman's transformation. <sighs> it was supposed to be weird. It was supposed to gross us out, and it did. <laughs> Job accomplished. Nailed it. I, I was grossed out by that dude by the end. Yeah. So what it's supposed to do, and it worked. And that's one place they really didn't go over the top. Because in the comics, Hector ha- Hammond's head is like Modoc big. You know? <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, and, and so, I mean, he can't even hold his health up, essentially. Wow. Like, 90% of the time, he's, like, immobilized and just using his brain in the comics. So, you know, that's one place at least they didn't go over the top with. <laughs> Wow. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to keep circling home. I'm going to keep circling uh, what I've been harping on all along. I love the look of Oa. Um, I mean, that was beautiful um, place. And, uh, you know, you had the Guardians. They they were very interesting. I don't think they were necessarily right, but they were very interesting looking. Uh, you had the uh, you know, the whole situation there uh, on Oa. I think that was done really well. Yeah. I, what was the clear thing on the top of their head? I don't heads? know. That I was, was that's strange. what I was going to ask you guys. What were the transparent domes? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, for a minute I thought they might have had like a like a like a an astronaut's helmet on. Yeah, you know, or, or I thought yeah. they had the weirdest comb overs in history at first. I mean, because <laughs> 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 look at maybe some like some yeah. strands of gray hair or something. I, yeah. Then they're like they've all got bubbles over their brains. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. what yeah. is this? Yeah, like I said, I, it was interesting. But I don't think it was realized. Perfectly, but uh, I, I like the concept. But here. there's so much else awesome to look at on Oa. Yeah. You've probably got the right answer. Yeah, um, Oa is amazing to look at, and For this sure. and the and the diversity of all the different aliens and how many different aliens there are. I mean, I, you you you're right. I'm t- I, I would take mine back. <laughs> <laughs> well, being right is something not happened about this movie. Don't know if it's casting, directing, studios. Maybe it's just a combination of all those things. People make decisions. One actor makes some decisions. Some consistently good decisions, in my opinion. Keanu Reeves. Our beloved Keanu. 
Thank goodness Dodge the Green Lantern. <laughs> Where does he connect, Jamie, to the Green Lantern? Okay. Before I begin, I know his IMDb better than anybody else on the planet. They're not all home runs in the decision making department. <laughs> okay, here we go. So these days we are spoiled by how much sci-fi and fantasy we get on TV. Um, and most of it good, or a lot of it good. The batting average is way higher than it used to be. Um, I was a tween and teen in the 90s, and I was real nerdy. And there were only a handful of shows on TV that were really, it was mostly sitcoms, procedurals. And we still had, what, just two Lawn Orders at that time? Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> there was a lot of stuff like that. We got a handful of shows, most of them were cheap and terrible and looked awful because they were using CGI. They had no business being used. But we did have the X-Files. And we had Briscoe County Jr. And we had uh, I Will Defend Space Above and Beyond. We had The Flash Show. That was pretty good. One of my favorites was a show called Earth 2. It was a great show that apparently just me and my family were watching because <laughs> it only got one season. And it was this great show about this crew of people that were doing like a generational transport. They crash on a planet. Things go awry. It's not where they're supposed to be. And it was a good show. We never find out what happens because it got canceled. <laughs> but one of the stars of the show and his rare opportunity to not be a bad guy was Clancy Brown. <laughs> Clancy Brown was a good guy on the show. He was the heart of the show. Wow. It was this heartwarming, you know, single dad, you know, really good dude. Um, and that's rare. He's usually the bad guy, right? He's the evil colonel, you know, testifying at all mm -hmm. the trials, right? I mean, honestly, there's three evil colonel parts on his MTV <laughs> page. Not, not officer, colonel specifically. Yes. He's, got, he's got a colonel face or something. Um, Clancy Brown does the voice of Parallax in this movie. Okay, that, I brought up all the space stuff in the Earth 2 because of how bad it's about to go, guys. Uh, Clancy Brown does the voice of Parallax in this movie, but way back in 2000, Clancy Brown did the voice of <laughs> Cleve in Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Keanu Reeves was in Toy Story 4, another production featuring Buzz Lightyear, and yes, it wasn't the same <laughs> production. <laughs> so all I've got this week for this week's Counter Connection is Clancy Brown and Buzz Lightyear's plural. <laughs> <gasps> that was the Keanu Connection. <laughs> Ish. Ish. It took so much work to get that bad one. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well... No, it's not. Ladies and gentlemen, Thanks boys and girls, <laughs> thank you for listening to our review, um, our beating of Green Lantern 2011. Hope you have enjoyed it uh, more than we enjoyed watching it. Um, next week, we have uh, our world-famous news episodes returning, and we're sticking with our older format here. We're going just, just news. We're not going to slap a review uh, toward the end of it, so... Uh, We'll be talking about some happenings in the Nerdverse. Lots of news has been abounding lately. So, Jamie, as we prepare for the news, we're going to see how far off I was this time on Trelawney Time as we keep it nerdy. Nerdy.